This is Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic. And now your host, Michael O'Fallon. We are now being quickly transitioned from a physical, real, analog world and into a digital, hyperreal simulation of a fake world, a world of make-believe, where perception is reality, and where the perception is always being manipulated and diverted from the actual, the verifiable, and the true. And truth is no longer truth in the objective sense. And the correspondence theory of truth is being discarded for alchemy. In other words, truth is equivalent to what amounts to operational success. In the transition of our world into more of a total technocratic state. And so, we are being pulled along into one mass psychosis event and into another. Not knowing what to believe and what is fiction and what is true. And one thing that we should have learned by now is that whatever the technocratic magicians want us to pay attention to with their right hand, be sure to pay attention to what their left hand is doing as well. Now, over the past several months, most of the sane world has rejoiced as the ownership of Twitter was transferred from a fully public company to the masterful right hand of genius billionaire, entrepreneur, and inventor Elon Musk. As Elon Musk entered Twitter headquarters with the sink in his arms, which is code for let this sink in, the changes were nearly immediate. Musk fired the wokest woke workforce in the social media landscape, second only, of course, to the communists at Facebook, and the changes didn't stop there. Musk removed the filter on public discourse over all information regarding treatments and controversies with COVID, freeing men and women alike with differing opinions not just to blast and troll one another, but to have actual debate. Now, this, strangely enough, in our post-COVID world, was something akin to a great leap for mankind. And he didn't stop there. Elon Musk then restored the account of the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, an account that should have never have been deplatformed. We were talking about the sitting president of the United States. That should have never happened, ever. For the sake of engagement disagreement, and debate. Because we do need to debate these things. And if you were going to actually delete somebody's account, it would probably be someone like Joe Biden, because you know that Joe Biden's not the one who's actually tweeting. And Musk has continued to open up Twitter by declaring amnesty on previously banned accounts. So now the likes of the Babylon Bee, Project Veritas with James O'Keefe, and our good friend and contributor James Lindsay were now freed from digital prison, freed from the sentencing of having to communicate on truth social, freed from the gushing fountain of anti-Semitic discussion at Gab. They were now free to discuss, debate, and offer their opinions to the world once again. It was almost as if a tiny sliver of cognitive liberty was just restored to mankind. But then our Marvel comic Avenger Elon Musk announced that there was now another threat, the threat of Apple, and that Apple may be making moves to remove the new free and open form of Musk-owned Twitter from the Apple's App Store. 
This was a threat, a major threat to free Twitter. But after a meeting at Apple's headquarters in California with Chinese Communist Party business boss Tim Cook, it was announced by Musk that all was well and that Twitter would remain on Apple-based product platforms. But then another threat arose, this time from a nursing home on Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C., where the Biden administration announced that it would be monitoring and keeping an eye on Twitter because misinformation is now the enemy in the postmodern news world. Yes, misinformation, that evil force that may be objectively true, but goes against the official Ministry of Truth that is now centered in Washington, D.C. So our American hero Musk has responded, stating that he would now release the logs of information regarding what Twitter was told to do and did proactively to squash the Hunter Biden laptop scandal. And, of course, that meant that they interfered with the 2020 presidential election. What a bold stand Elon Musk was taking. And the news spread like wildfire across the news services and social media. It was as if nothing else was going on in the world for 48 hours. Elon Musk was going to take down the information deep state. Order your popcorn because it's going to be retribution time. And sure enough, it was. What was revealed by Musk through Twitter's internal documents was that the FBI and the Biden campaign had communicated with Twitter to ban any stories regarding Hunter Biden's laptop. And to label stories and tweets that were covering the fact that Hunter was, let's say, involved with several dealings with Ukraine and with Chinese companies, but also that he was completely compromised sexually. And that compromise would lead to a compromise of the soon-to-be president, Joe Biden, and the Democratic National Committee power structure. And so, with help from Democrats and authorities at the FBI, Twitter employees squashed the story. They deleted tweets. And from direction that was given to them, from Democrats, as well as from officials within the FBI, they banned people from talking about the Biden laptop on Twitter and deplatformed several high-profile people like James Woods, who were reporting the story. So in essence, Musk opened up a massive can of worms. And in reality, this was just the tip of the iceberg because this was just one story within Twitter. And we aren't even touching what happened with COVID yet. And this was just at Twitter. So what about all the other social media platforms? What about all the other mass media platforms that did the same thing or worse? And this great revealing, which should, by the way, result in jail time for many and an immediate impeachment of the entire Biden administration, was done by Musk, in his own words, to restore public trust. And the public will want to know more. They will want to know about what happened during COVID and during mandated vaccinations. They want to know about the deplatforming of Dr. Peter McCullough and others. And it is very possible that Musk will reveal all this in the future. And there is another aspect to this. By restoring public trust, Musk is setting up Twitter to be the only trusted social media platform. And I mean 
the only one trusted, especially by conservatives. It is good business. So while Musk might be doing what he is doing for the good of all mankind, at least that's what he's saying, he is also making decisions that will result in Twitter being the go-to media platform for nearly everything. And Musk is very clear that he plans on expanding Twitter into a social media powerhouse like WeChat is in China. WeChat has been described as China's app for everything, and a super app because of its wide range of functions. WeChat provides text messaging, hold-to-talk voice messaging, broadcast messaging, video conferencing, video games, sharing of photographs and videos, and location sharing. It is also the digital way to pay for things in China. And it is heavily monitored by the Chinese Communist Party. So there is that. So while all of this trust and all of these good things are happening at Twitter because of Elon Musk, there should be a bit of caution. Now, I'm not saying that this is necessarily what's happening with Musk, but if you take a look at history, things like this have happened before. And so we should at least pause for a moment before jumping with both feet in to basically hand over everything to Elon Musk and Twitter. So a bit of caution here, as we just think over the last couple of years, because we have just gone through the process of funneling several times. And let me explain what I mean by funneling. We've had a deadly virus. Well, supposedly deadly. I've had it three times now. And you were told that the only thing that you could do to stay safe is lockdown and destroy the economy, separate from your family members. That was number one. Well, that was followed by number two. George Floyd died now, so now we have to introduce race Marxism into every facet of our civilization. That was number two, which then was followed by number three, it isn't safe to go out, so you need to mail in all of your ballots. Which, of course, was followed by number four. The election was secure, and if you say anything that contradicts the official position of the political, social media, corporate, and faith-based cabal, then you are an insurrectionist. Which, of course, was followed by number five. The only way out of the pandemic is through these wonderful and effective vaccines. If you get the vaccine, you're not going to get the virus. So you must be vaccinated if you want to participate in society. There was another funnel, which then was followed by, you must hate Russia and protect the sovereign borders of Ukraine. <laughs> this means that the United States will have to give up oil, grain, transportation, all sorts of things to beat the villain Putin. That was number six. And you could almost say that now, number seven... All social media companies are corrupt except Twitter. You must go to Twitter, and Twitter will replace all of these non-trusted woke social media companies. I mean, it almost sounds like that, doesn't it? And in many ways, a lot of what Musk is saying sounds strangely familiar. Like the, quote, we must restore public trust and there must be transparency line. 
And if you are a student of history, you might remember that around 70 years ago, in communist China, similar things were said. It was called the Hundred Flowers Campaign. And what Communist Chinese Party head Mao Zedong had done in the first six years of Communist Chinese rule is that he suppressed, oppressed, and crushed any dissent. He crushed those that opposed the cause of the revolution. But tensions were growing high in China. We're talking about a massive country, a massive landmass that you have nearly a billion people at the time. But tensions were growing high in China. And this is before the digital age. It's a massive amount of land that had to be covered and a tremendous population. But tensions were growing high under this oppression, especially amongst the Tao and Buddhist class that had their freedom of worship curtailed. And also with the journalist educated class that were basically silenced by the Communist Party. The general mood of the people was frustration and anger. So Mao Zedong in 1956 begins the Hundred Flower Campaign. The beginning of the Hundred Flowers movement was marked by a speech titled On the Correct Handling of Contradictions Among the People. It was published in February of 1957, in which Mao displayed open support for the campaign. The speech encouraged people to vent their criticisms as long as they were constructive rather than hateful and destructive. Mao stated something that sounds eerily familiar to what Musk said just a few days ago. Mao said, quote, Let a hundred flowers bloom. Let a hundred schools of thought contend. Our society cannot back down. It could only progress. Criticism of the bureaucracy is pushing the government towards the better. End quote. So in this statement, Mao was saying two things. First, he was saying that in the Hundred Flowers campaign, every school of thought in China Capitalists, socialists, Confucianists, Buddhists, Taoists should all compete against each other openly and vigorously. In his proclamation of the Hundred Flowers Campaign, Mao alluded to the Warring States period back around 400 BC or so when numerous schools of thought competed for ideological supremacy, not to mention military supremacy. So in essence... Mao wanted there to be conflict within groups that were now united in their grievances that their speech was being suppressed against Mao. He wanted those united groups to fight and compete with one another. In other words, he wanted to ideologically balkanize previously united groups, set them against each other. Secondly, Mao encouraged open and often criticism of the Chinese communist government. So by the thousands and thousands, the complaints came in about how the Chinese government does this and how the Chinese government does that, how capitalism was much better model than socialism. For nearly a year, maybe more like a year and a half, the communist Chinese party collected every complaint from every person who wanted to complain 
about the state of life in China under the Chinese Communist Party and Mao Zedong. And then, abruptly, in mid-1957, the Hundred Flowers campaign was ended with a bang. And Mao and the Communist Party knew who every enemy of the state was. And Mao and the Communist Party knew where every enemy of the state was. Citizens were rounded up in waves by the hundreds of thousands. They were publicly criticized, condemned to prison camps for re-education through labor, and many were executed. The ideological crackdown reimposed Maoist orthodoxy in public expression all over China. The consequence of the Hundred Flowers campaign was that it discouraged dissent and made intellectuals reluctant to criticize Mao or ever criticize the Communist Chinese Party ever again. The anti-rightist movement that shortly followed after this was probably caused by the Hundred Flowers campaign, resulted in the persecution of intellectuals, officials, students, artists, and dissidents, meaning average folks that maybe liked capitalism better, maybe liked life before the Communist Chinese Party. They were all labeled rightists. The campaign led to a loss of individual rights, especially for any Chinese intellectuals educated in Western centers of learning. Another important issue of the campaign was the tension that surfaced between the political center and national minorities. When the criticism was allowed during the Hundred Flowers campaign, some of the minorities' activists made public their protest against Han supremacy, or it's been called Han chauvinism as well, which they saw as the informal approach of party officials towards the local specifics. And this tension was stoked for the purposes of furthering division. And it put the Communist Chinese Party at the forefront of both control and control through fear. And so, being a student of history means that you are burdened with the lessons of history. And you remind those that don't possess a knowledge of history that there are some rather familiar patterns that seem to be emerging even from a very trusted source, of who's probably a good guy, but these are patterns that you're starting to see with what's happening with Elon Musk. So we should question some of these patterns that are emerging because Western civilization is being put through something that is akin to a Maoist struggle session. And basically you're looking at a gauntlet of fakeness of what can be referred to as active measures. But, but there's something else that was going on. Something world-stopping huge is happening at the same time. 
So while we were focused on Elon's purchase of Twitter and Elon's creating a, well, sort of a hundred flowers campaign on Twitter, at the same time all of this was happening, just a few days ago, possibly the biggest news of the century. Elon Musk announced that Neuralink was ready for FDA approval and human trials. And with all the other announcements made by Musk and all the other news that was created by an enormous amount of public trust with Elon Musk, this might have been the most consequential news story of the last 100 years. Elon Musk, and this is just the truth, but Elon Musk is a transhumanist proponent. And we could be on the edge of the end of human history and the beginning of something else. That something else that could spell the end of cognitive liberty. And while we have all sorts of other historical references that we can make for other news happening in our world today, there is no other historical reference to the combination of mind and artificial intelligence and the creation and reading of hyperreal human thought. There is no other reference. Well, except one. The imputation of the Holy Spirit. Which is to confirm that we are now playing God. And all the sick, twisted dreams of the Gnostics the Hermeticists of Rousseau, of Marx, of Wells, and especially of Alice Bailey, are about to become hyper-reality. So what is our response? Well, our response is to unite with those that value human freedom. Unite with those who want to preserve our nation. Unite with those who want to preserve human autonomy and sovereignty and pray that the Lord will enlighten many along the way. Because the sands and the hourglass are few, and we must win. Now, we will be talking about some of these things in Phoenix, Arizona this week. With me and James Lindsay, Mike Young, Patrick Wood of Technocracy, Dr. Bill Roach, and Pastor Andy Woodward. Oh, and also Charlie Kirk of Turning Point USA. And I hope you will join us at the Mere Simulacrity Conference in Phoenix, Arizona. Hosted, of course, by a great pastor by the name of John Benzinger, who will be our opening presentation. I hope you will join us, especially if you're in Arizona. Come on by, because a mind stretched will never return to its original size. I'm Michael O'Fallon, and this has been Public Occurrences, Both Foreign and Domestic. Thank you.